It's good to see all of you here this evening. We appreciate your desire to come back and to uh, worship again this evening. This past week, uh, well, unrelated to the topic of the sermon, I was doing some looking on the internet. Uh, I was curious about some old friends uh, from college days, and and I looked up one guy, and and what came up was um, all kind of legal proceedings. And I was like, whoa, what, what, what is this? And this guy, who was a good friend of mine in college, had, after graduation from college, he had started a business. They sold church bonds or something along that line and uh, got in trouble for stealing from churches. It was a family business. His father was in it, who was a preacher. He was in it, and his two younger brothers were in it. The father, they, they stole over $2 million from people. The father received a sentence of 56 years earlier this year. Uh, the two brothers of this man that I knew at school, they received about 12 years apiece. And then uh, the, the, the man that I knew in college, he received uh, just... Recently, his court date was set. He pled to some kind of an agreement and was sentenced to 24 years in prison. That just kind of hit me, you know, because we were the same age. We went to school together, and, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, his life took a different turn from where he used to be. But I thought, you know, and I tried to think and tried to imagine... 24 years, uh, how old would you be, you know, when you get out? How much of your life would be sent, spent, uh, just locked up and unable to do and to enjoy the things of life that we take for granted? And it's really a, a depressing thought. But I, th- I thought for him to have stood there before a judge, I, I imagine the courtroom scene, and to hear the judge say, guilty. And to hear the sentence pronounced, you know how sick that would make you feel? Well, on the other hand, think of the flip side. Think if you were innocent, but you were brought up on charges, and and you're not sure if you're going to make it or not. False charges have been made against you, and and it looks kind of bad, but then the jury comes back in, and the judge reads off, and he says... Not guilty. Can you imagine how good you would feel if you escaped uh, what could have been something that destroyed the rest of your life? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that for those of us who are Christians, there is no condemnation. We don't ever hear the Lord say, guilty, uh, because we have been released. We are justified we are innocent uh, on the well because of what Jesus has done for us. So I want us to look at that thought tonight and remind us. And most of us again have obeyed the gospel, but it's good from time to time to go back and to remember why we did what we did. Is there a reason that you should give your life to Jesus, sacrifice, deny self, follow Him, make sacrifices daily on His behalf? I believe there are. And one of the great reasons is just the fact that to those who are in Christ, 
there is no condemnation. That is good news. Now, let's look at a few things. Three, lessons, three points tonight's, to tonight's sermon, and then uh, the lesson will be yours. But let's talk about this idea of no condemnation just for a moment. The Apostle Paul had just concluded chapter 7. And if you look at verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We undergo a battle in life. We're trying to serve God. The best of us, we have still enough sin that clings to us that it, it's disappointing. We get disappointed in ourselves. We get um, discouraged because we're not able to perform better on behalf of, of God. And, and so we get a little discouraged for, with ourselves. And, and Paul describes this battle between the flesh and the spirit and the flesh causes us to do things we don't want to do and, and uh, the things that we know we should do, then we end up not doing them because of the, this tension that constantly exists. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to help me? How can I get beyond this point? And, of course, that brings us to chapter 8. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who, not, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's good news. You see, we have one who has died for us. Provision has been made for us um, to escape the consequences of our sin, to, to escape the guilt of our sin. Now, you know, there's the, the law, the old law is described in terms of death, whereas the new law is described in terms of life in this chapter. The Old Testament, you know, if the Old Testament couldn't forgive sins, why did we have it? And why was it given? And why all the rules and regulations? And, and could they or could they not be forgiven? You read in the Old Testament and you read of forgiveness, and yet you read of statements like the blood of bulls and goats cannot uh, forgive sin. So which is it? Well, I liken it to uh, years ago I used to be a paper boy. I had a paper route. And uh, there was one family in particular, I would go to their house, I would collect on Saturday morning. That was my favorite day of the week. You go door to door and uh, you owe me for the paper. And, and so I would collect. But I would go on Saturday morning, I'd collect from this one house, and this guy always wrote a check for his paper. And he would give me this check and he'd say, now don't cash that till Tuesday. Well... I knew what that meant back then. Apparently, it meant that he was running low. He always said that, and I guess he got paid on Monday and wanted me not to cash that because he may not have sufficient funds in the bank to cover it. But on Tuesday, it would be good. Well, I understood how that... Now, question, did that man pay me? Yes, he did. He paid me, but it was a promissory payment. It was a payment in view of something that was yet to take place, the the paycheck coming in. And I counted that as payment. And then on Tuesday, when after he received the, his check, I, I knew that I could cash that check and everything would be good. That, I think, is very similar to what we have in the Old Testament. Are there statements that say that people were forgiven in the Old Testament of their sins? Well, yeah. The Bible talks about that. Uh, David said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So there was forgiveness in the Old Testament, but only in the sense that it was of a promissory nature. 
Jesus has to come. Uh, you know, it's not in and of itself. Those blood of bulls and goats didn't, didn't take care of it itself. But looking forward to and knowing that it's as good as done, that Jesus would come and die on the cross, that that forgiveness could be extended and granted on those terms. So the child of God, though, we live in a time when we don't have to wait for a promissory uh, payment for our sin. Jesus has already come. He's died. And to think of what it would be like if I didn't have the freedom that Jesus has given me, what, what would that have been like? Can you imagine standing before God condemned? You know, the courtroom scene that my, my former friend went through to, to stand there and to know that I've made an agreement that I'm going to spend the next 24 years of my life in prison and I'm going to hear this judge today pronounce me guilty. Oh, that's, that's devastating. How much more so would it be devastating to stand before God and hear him say, you're guilty. The Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter, or Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, where he, where he talks about how that, um, the angels, the Lord will return with the angels, and there will be, uh, they'll come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. The, the, the idea of an all-powerful God being angry, taking vengeance. And the vengeance of God, as we know, is, is hell. And it's described in terms so that we, we clearly understand what the choices are. You don't want to go there. To stand guilty before God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and, and following. He says, you know, under the law of Moses, people who sinned, well, they were punished. Um, but how much sorer punishment? And that term sore denotes a degree. How much worse will it be for those who have trodden underfoot the Son of God, have counted His blood as a common thing, and have insulted the Spirit of His grace? Think about that. Do you want to stand before God after what He has done for us? He gave His Son, and you're going to treat that like no big deal? So what? Yeah, I know about the cross. I know Jesus shed his blood. And, and I was intending on doing something about it someday, but not yet. And you just kind of snuck up on me and surprised me here. I wasn't ready for you. Do you think that God will then say, okay, you know, I'm all right with that, as long as you intended? That passage says, if you're going to insult the spirit of God's grace and treat the blood of his son as like it's no big deal, you're not going to act on that when you learn about that? He said, you have nothing but a fearful expectation of judgments. That's a scary thought. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, as the Jews are guilty of sin, just like the Gentiles were listed in Romans chapter 1, I think it's interesting that he uses a couple words. He says, number one, guys, you are inexcusable. There's no excuse for the sin, the guilt that you have. You knew better. He further went on to say in that passage that um, you are, by your sins, treasuring up vengeance and judgment. Can you imagine the idea, the concept of storing up vengeance of God? That's not anything I want to do. 
But that's what it would be like. What would it be if we stood before God condemned? No hope, nothing but a fearful expectation of judgment. I don't want that, and I know you don't either. And so that's the blessing of being a Christian. We don't have to experience that. We can stand before God now. There is now no condemnation. To whom? Well, to those who are in Christ. And that brings us to the second point. How do I get out of that being judged guilty? Because I am a sinner. I have sinned. And, you know, I don't want to anymore. I've changed my ways, but I still stumble. So how do I arrive at that position where God will say, I'm not going to hold you guilty? It's in Christ. But how do I get in Christ? Well, this is a spiritual thing, isn't it? This isn't literal words. I don't climb inside of a physical body. That's not what he's talking about. It's a spiritual transaction uh, that is being talked about here. But how do I, you know, complete this act of getting into Christ? Well, I know of two passages that tell us how it's accomplished. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 is one of them. For we are therefore buried with Christ into baptism, or buried by baptism into Christ. Um, That's how we get in. We're buried with him in baptism. And then you can turn to Galatians chapter 3, and you read the same thing repeated again. We, We come to Christ by being, putting him on by being baptized. That's how we get into Christ. Those two passages tell us that baptism puts us into Christ. Now, you know, there's a lot of folks that say, churches of Christ, here's what I have against them. Everything's baptism. They're hung up on baptism. If they think that they've misunderstood us, or maybe we haven't articulated to them well enough. But that's not the case at all. I don't have a hang-up about baptism. You know what? Baptism is no more, no less important than faith or repentance or confession of Christ. Um, They stand on equal ground. I can't be saved without having faith in Jesus. I can't be saved being unwilling to confess my faith in Jesus. I can't be saved without turning from my sin. All of those things are necessary. Baptism, though, sustains just a little bit of a different relationship to salvation than those other things in this respect. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, it says that um, for with the heart uh, or for with the mouth, confession is made in salvation. With the heart, well, I've forgotten how to quote the verse. Uh, and that if thou shalt confess, 10 verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, those, those prepositions, it's, it's unto salvation. It's unto, belief takes us unto salvation. Uh, confession takes us unto salvation. In the book of Acts, when the Gentiles repented, Peter said, God has therefore granted repentance unto life to the Gentiles. Repentance was unto their salvation. But baptism is referred to as putting us into Christ. 
it's the final step. It's, it's the, the end of the transaction. That's the only difference. It, it sustains the same degree of importance as any other divine requirement for salvation. But it's that last one that has you cross the line of demarcation from sinner to saint, from say, or lost to saved. To get here tonight, you had to get in a car, um, you had to drive and park in the parking lot. You had to open a door and, and close it as you left your vehicle. And, but, but eventually, you're going to have to walk in through the door. How did you get here tonight? What put you in this building, into this building? All of those things are necessary. You had to get in your car and drive here and get out of your car and walk up here. All of those things are necessary, but it was the final act of walking through the door that put you inside. And that's, that's parallel to baptism. Baptism is not more important than faith. It's not more important than repenting of one's sin. It's not more important than confessing one's faith in Christ. It's just that last act that we take before God forgives us of our sins. There's no condemnation in Christ. Uh, I don't know of any other way into Christ other than what the Bible would say. This is a spiritual transaction. I, I have no spiritual insights apart from the Word of God. And the Word of God says we're baptized into Christ. And then here's your third and final point for tonight. There is no condemnation of Christ if, there's that if, if we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In other words, once we come into Christ, we have a continued walk, a continued lifestyle that we have to live. And if we don't live it, we forfeit the blessings of salvation we will stand again, condemned before God. Uh, you remember in Acts chapter 8, there was Simon the sorcerer. He practiced sorcery before he became a Christian, but he came to faith in Jesus, and he, he too was baptized along with the Samaritans. But after his baptism, he went back into a way of sin. Peter described him as being in the gall of bitterness. He said, you need to repent and pray for forgiveness. So here's a man who was once saved, but because he wasn't living as he should, he was in trouble with the Lord. He was in the bond of iniquity. So how do we, how do we stay saved? Well, we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, I know that none of us are going to be perfect. We all sin probably we would all admit to saying this, I sin more than I want to. I sin too much. So does that mean I'm now lost because I make mistakes? I don't want to. Deep down in my heart, I want to do what's right. Well, isn't that what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 7? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who's going to save me? I have this conflict, this war, this battle that's going on, flesh and spirit. I want to do what's right, and I stumble from time to time. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us 
from our sins. There is a vast difference between one who gives himself over to sin, who surrenders to it, who stops trying. Yeah, I know I shouldn't do that, but you know what? We all have our vices, and I'm just going to do this because I like it. There's a vast difference to one who has surrendered himself to sin and have allowed, has allowed sin to have dominion over him and one who still sins but fights it. They sin because of weakness. They sin because of um, just immaturity. They sin because, well, stupidity sometimes, short-sightedness, instant gratification, those things that grab us. And then later we say, ah, why did I do that? I should never have done that. Why did I say that? And we're sorry for it, and we're humble and penitent, and we ask God to forgive us. There is a world of difference between those two kind of sinners. In Christ, the one who continues and maintains this fight against sin, who walks in the light, who's following Jesus, who may make steps and stumbles and falling along the way and, and not walking so gracefully as others may walk, but wishing they could, that person's not under condemnation. It's the one who quits trying. It's the one who gives himself to it. It's the one who, in Romans chapter 6, it's described as allowing sin to have dominion over them. That's when you're in trouble. So for those of us who have obeyed the gospel of Christ, we've been baptized into Jesus. We are not under condemnation as long as we walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We'll never do it perfectly. No one ever has except for our Lord, and that's why He's our Savior. But we have to continue to try. And tonight, as we extend or finish this lesson, I want to extend to you the invitation, and I I want you to make sure tonight that you stand not guilty. There's no reason why anyone should leave here tonight guilty before God. We serve a God. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18 says, He delights in mercy. He's a God who wants to say, He doesn't begrudgingly sit in heaven and say, Oh, great, He's come forward. I'm going to have to forgive Him because I promised I would. That's not God. God delights in mercy. He takes pleasure in it. And you know, you learn a lot about a person's character by the things they find pleasure and delight in. God delights in mercy. If that's the case with him, why would anybody leave here tonight condemned? He wants to save you. And all you have to do is decide, I don't want to be condemned. I don't want to stand before him someday and hear him say, guilty. I don't want to spend an eternity separated from him in a devil's hell. I want no condemnation to come upon me. Well, that can happen tonight. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, that's what you need to do. That's where salvation is. There's no condemnation in Christ. So you need to get in them. And we're, we accomplish that through baptism. But beyond that, we have an obligation not just simply to be hearers of the word, but we have an obligation to be doers. James 1, 21 and 22. 
if we're not living right, if we're not following the lead of the Spirit, if we're doing our own thing and walking according to the flesh, we have forfeited the innocence that God provides us. If you need to make things right and come clean and say, I'm sorry, I've messed up, I want to be in this right relationship with God, we'll pray with you to that end. Don't leave here tonight lost. God has given us the gift of of freedom, of innocence, in spite of what when we should be guilty and, and deserving of death, he makes it possible for us to stand before him not guilty. Take advantage of that tonight. If you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.